As usual, I will start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. You may join if you wish. Begin. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samla Sambodasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato So today's Dhamma talk is under the title of Realize, Abandon, Experience, Develop. Or in other words, it's about the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha's enlightenment was the culmination of a long, long journey. We are told that he grew up in luxury, living in the palace, being the son of a king. But then he became disenchanted with this kind of life and he wanted to know more about life. Or especially, he wanted to find, or he asked himself why people were suffering. And so he thought he wanted to find a way out of suffering. And so then he left the palace and he became an ascetic one of the many ascetics that lived at that time in ancient India. <coughs> it was very common to see ascetics, as it is still uh, nowadays. And so, after he had become an ascetic, he practiced with the most well-known teachers of his day, the most respected teachers, of his day, and he easily mastered all the different levels of jhanas, these deep states of um, absorption, of concentration. So the Buddha, to be, he was able to, to stay in the jhanas and enjoy the resulting <coughs> happiness and bliss. But somehow he was not satisfied with this result because he realized that was not the way out of suffering. He realized that he just got away from suffering temporarily. It was a temporary suppression of the suffering. So then he left those teachers and he started to do very austere practices that was also very common uh, at that time. So one of these practices was to, re to reduce the food. So reducing it to just one handful of rice every day, or as it um, somewhat, some, sometimes is said, reducing the food to just one grain of rice every day. And we have an account of how the Buddha felt when he was practicing like this. Because after uh, he became enlightened, he gave an account of this time when he was practicing these austere practices, also called the practices of self-mortification. So then he said about that time, I thought, 
Suppose I take very little food, a handful each time. While I did so, my body reached a state of extreme emaciation. Because of eating so little, my limbs became like the jointed segments of bamboo stems. Because of eating so little, my backside became like a camel's hoof. Because of eating so little, the gleam of my eyes sank far down in their sockets, looking like the gleam of water that has sunk far down in a deep well. Because of eating so little, my scalp shriveled and withered as a green bit of gourd shrivels and withers in the wind and sun. Because of eating so little, my belly skin adhered to my backbone. Thus, if I touched my belly skin, I encountered my backbone. And if I touched my backbone, I encountered my belly skin. Because of eating so little, if I defecated or urinated, I fell over on my face there. So, realizing what this austere practice had, uh, realizing the results of this austere practice and seeing that this was not really beneficial to his quest of ending suffering, then he started to eat more again. So he gave up this and all the other kinds of austere practices and he started to engage in a practice that was in the middle, so in the middle of extremes. One extreme for him was to live and indulge in luxury. This is what he had in his life in the palace. Great luxury, indulgence in all sorts of sense pleasures. And the other extreme was these practices of self-mortification. And so with this approach, practicing in the middle of these extremes, he finally then discovered a state, if you can call it a state. So he, he, he discovered this state where he had overcome all forms of suffering or dissatisfaction. So he became liberated, liberated from suffering, liberated from all that which causes suffering to arise. So then he became the Buddha <coughs> or the awakened one or he became the one who knows. So we can ask, the one who knows what? He knew some truths, four of them. And in the first talk he gave, um, he talked about these truths that he had discovered. And this first talk is known as the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, or the discourse of setting in motion the wheel of Dhamma. So in this discourse, he presented the truths he had discovered or in other words, he presented a way out of suffering. So as I said, he presented four truths. Not only one, but four truths. And we could ask, well, can there be 
more than one truth. When we hear this word, when we hear this word truth, usually people think about something absolute or something exalted or something really noble. And then people also think that there can be only one truth, the truth. But as we know, the Buddha talked about four truths. So truth means something that is true. And something that is true, this can be good or bad. It can be wholesome or it can be unwholesome. So even something negative or unwholesome can be a truth. For example, when I say um, 45 years ago I killed many many flies. That's a truth. Because at that time my parents told me and my brothers um, to kill all the flies that were in this old farmhouse where we went for holidays in the mountains. And with the, you call that the swatch, the swapped, um, we were busy killing flies. And then the parents praised us for this. Good girl, good boys. <laughs> or the second truth that the Buddha mentioned was is craving. And as we all know, craving is um, in an unwholesome state. It's something negative. But still, it's considered a truth. So we do not need to cherish every truth. Some truths need to be abandoned, or some truths need to be told and listened to. Like when the um, apartheid regime in South Africa um, came to an end, they had this Truth and Reconciliation Committee. And this committee, they listened to people's story because it was so important that mostly black people could tell their truths, could tell their story. It was important that somebody listened to their uh, suffering. And many of the stories that were told were horrible stories very cruel, atrocious things that had been done to them, heartbreaking. But it was this telling the truth that made forgiveness possible. And it made it possible to an elected government and this probably um, saved the outbreak of a civil war. So now, let's approach these four noble truths from two different angles or two different points of view. Like the first point of view is the first truth that the Buddha told is the one that needs to be realized, the one that needs to be deeply understood. The second truth is the one that needs to be abandoned or the one we need to let go of, to give up. The third truth is the one 
that needs to be experienced, that needs to be personally and directly experienced. And the fourth truth is the one that needs to be developed or cultivated or put into practice. So, to realize, to abandon, to experience, and to develop. And in Burma, I heard teachers like Sayadaw Ujanaka or Sayadaw Uindaka uh, talk about Tibe Saipwa. That's the Burmese words, Tibe, to uh, realize to abandon, let go, saite, to experience, realize, experience, and boare, to develop. So, easy to remember, deep as I boa. We can look at these four truths also from a different point of view, a second one. And so this is the first truth that relates to Nama and Rupa. Nama being mental phenomena, Rupa being physical phenomena. So the first truth deals with Nama and Rupa, mental and physical phenomena, or five aggregates of clinging. Then the second truth deals with tanha, craving, or all forms of grasping, wanting, desire, attachment. And it's tanha or craving based on ignorance. And the third truth, that's about Nibbana, or the cessation of suffering. Nibbana as the unconditioned, the unborn, or the deathless. And then the fourth truth is the Eightfold Path, a path that has eight factors. So this is a second way of presenting these four truths. And now here comes the common presentation of these four noble truths. So the first noble truth is the truth of suffering. And so this refers to mental and physical phenomena, to nama and rupa, which must be realized. So the truth of suffering must be realized. And what needs to be realized? Nama and rupa, mentality and physicality. Then the second noble truth is the truth of the cause of suffering. As we have seen, the cause of suffering is tanha, craving, and craving needs to be abandoned. So the second truth, the cause of suffering, is that craving needs to be abandoned. Then the third noble truth is the truth of the cessation of suffering. This is Nibbana, which must be experienced. And then the fourth noble truth is the truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. 
And the way leading to the cessation of suffering is the Noble Eightfold Path. And this path must be developed or cultivated. So in talking about these Four Noble Truths, the Buddha only spoke of the cessation of suffering, or he also used the words relinquishment, or giving up, or letting go. It's interesting to note that he never spoke of attaining something never said, you need to get something. When we look at this word Nibbana, it was a very common word at that time and could be used as to cool down and apparently, still nowadays, in Thailand, in the Thai language, they use it yeah, very literally to cool down. For example, to cool down the rice after they have cooked the rice, because they eat with the hand, so the rice needs to cool down a little bit. And so then, yeah, the, the rice needs to nibbana, <laughs> to cool down. Or it can also be understood as the absence of craving. And so in regard to, yeah, to let go and to experience the cessation of suffering, so not to attain anything, not to get anything, but that it is that this is rather a practice of letting go. I want to quote Ajahn Chah, the famous Thai meditation master, who expressed this so beautifully in these words. If you let go a little bit, you will get a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will get a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will get complete peace. So now we will go through these four truths one by one. The first noble truth being the truth of suffering. And as I said, this refers to Nama and Rupa, to mental and physical phenomena. That's why we need to realize or understand these mental and physical phenomena, because we need to see that they are dukkha, they are not satisfactory. They are suffering. So in talking about Nama and Rupa, the Buddha also said that it is the five aggregates of clinging which are dukkha or suffering. And the five aggregates they are, I just go through them without giving further explanations. So there are physical phenomena or materiality. Then we have Vedana, the feeling tone. Then there is perception mental formations, and consciousness. So these five aggregates are just another way 
of classifying mental and physical phenomena. So the Buddha said the first truth is the truth of Dukkha. This word Dukkha is a bit difficult to translate into English because it has so many different aspects. So often it is translated as suffering, but it also is dissatisfaction, unreliability, stress, distress, lamentation, grief, sorrow, and so on. And Dukkha can be divided into three levels. And in order to really understand Dukkha, or what the Buddha meant with Dukkha, we need to understand the deepest, the most profound level of Dukkha. So the first level of Dukkha is called Dukkha Dukkha. This is the obvious suffering, obvious physical and mental, mental suffering, like physical suffering as pain or a headache, a sore throat, abdominal pain, or when you cut yourself with a knife. Mental suffering also, obvious forms of mental suffering is anxiety, fear, distress, grief, sadness, lamentation, and so on. So then the second level of Dukkha is called Viparinama Dukkha. And that's the suffering of change. Meaning that in every pleasant experience, something which we call sukha, happiness, so in every pleasant experience, every pleasant experience contains the seed of dukkha, of suffering, because things change as we have seen and as we know, one of the general characteristics is impermanence, the fact that things do not last forever. They change. And so, because nice, pleasant uh, states do not last forever, so eventually they are no longer satisfactory. They turn into dukkha. So that's the suffering of change. And then, the third level, this is called Sankara Dukkha. And this is the, the suffering of being oppressed by the constant arising and disappearance of things. So just the fact that everything conditioned is subject to arising and disappearance, that's the basic suffering. Things do not last. Nothing can be a permanent base for lasting happiness. So nothing conditioned can be the base for lasting happiness. So that means each conditioned phenomenon is Dukkha is of the nature of suffering, is basically unsatisfactory. And because Nibbana, the complete cessation of suffering, this state is not conditioned, that's why it is not Dukkha.
So in this sutta, in this discourse he gave after he became fully liberated, the Buddha talked of dukkha in this way. What is dukkha? So the Buddha said, birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, united with what is unpleasant, separated from what is pleasant, not to get what one wants is dukkha, suffering. So he says birth is suffering. And when he speaks of birth, so this means right after conception, not only when a human being enters this world uh, visibly, but right at conception, that's uh, birth. Aging is suffering. And aging does not start with a certain age, maybe 50 or 60, or maybe considering 70 to be the age when one starts to be old. No, aging starts right after birth. What has come into existence, what has been born, that starts to age. Then sickness is suffering. That's quite obvious. When we get sick, it's to come. Death is suffering. Can be one's own approaching death or the death of others, usually suffering, and it brings anxiety, distress, fear, grief, sadness, and so on. Then the Buddha also mentioned sorrow, suffering, and intense sorrow uh, he called despair. Then united with what is unpleasant, or we could say uh, to be exposed to what is unpleasant, or to be together with those we do not like, we do not love. Again, this is quite obvious. And so to be united with what is unpleasant, this can be material things, or it can be human beings or other beings. So if you have to work together um, with a colleague you do not like, that's dukkha. <laughs> or if you have to sit next to a smelly drainage, that's also not pleasant. Or if you, if you are exposed to anger or jealousy, if you have to live together with your anger or your jealousy, that's also dukkha. Then the Buddha said, to be separated from what is pleasant, or to be separated from what we love or like, Again, that's quite obvious. And again, it's animate or inanimate uh, objects. People, animals, or material things. So to be separated from your best friend because she moves to a different country. Or if you lose your watch, you become separate separated from it, it's dukkha. Or if you are separated from your happiness or bliss that you experienced, or joy, again, it's not satisfactory. 
And then the last thing the Buddha mentioned, not to get what one wants. So yeah, if we do not get what we want, we are not happy. We are not satisfied, frustrated or uh, upset. So, you know, if you have a strong desire to be concentrated, and then you don't get a concentrated mind, Dukkha. Or if you've got a strong pain and you want your pain to go away, but it doesn't go away, so you don't get what you want. Double Dukkha. The pain, which is Dukkha, and you're not getting what you want. Or, you know, a little kid who, who wants an ice cream because they sell this nicely, nice-looking ice cream. Mom, I want an ice cream. No, we just had lunch, not now. Mom, I want an ice cream. No. And you know how, how kids can throw a tantrum. <laughs> so the kid not getting what he or she wants. Dukkha. Not to get what one wants also includes this kind of unreasonable wishes that people sometimes do have. Saying, oh, if only I would not get older. Or, oh, if only I would not get sick. Or, if only I would not die. <laughs> Cannot prevent these things from happening. So, do come. These five aggregates of clinging are suffering. And what are these five aggregates of clinging? Material things, feeling, perception, mental states and consciousness. Basically everything in the world. <laughs> they encompass everything conditioned. And so when it is said the aggregates of clinging are dukkha or suffering, actually the aggregates which are the object of clinging. So when, when they become the object of clinging, then they become dukkha. And as we know, there is nothing in the world that we cannot cling to. Or in other words, people to basically everything in the world, more or less. So, in summary, we can say that everything conditioned is of the nature of dukkha or suffering. And this is the first truth that the Buddha mentioned. And in this context, the context of talking about dukkha, all forms of suffering, it's interesting to know that the Buddha talked about five kinds of suffering that are peculiar to women. And these five kinds of suffering peculiar to women, they are called avenika dukkha. And this discourse is found in the Samyutta Nikaya. And so, five kinds of suffering pertaining to women, they are menstruation, pregnancy, childbirth, to live with one's husband family, and to serve 
one's husband faithfully. So, you know, the, f- the first three kinds of suffering, they have to do with the constitution of the female body. So menstruation um, is something that all women experience. Pregnancy and childbirth, not all women, but many. And then the last two sufferings, they are due to the cultural and social circumstances that were prevailing at the time of the Buddha and still do prevail nowadays in India or other countries. So, you know, at the time of the Buddha, when a woman was getting married, so she had to move into the house of her husband or her husband's family. And usually her husband's parents were still living there. And so the woman then was at the complete mercy at her husband's family and often the relationship of mother-in-law and daughter-in-law were not so good and so the social uh, circumstances dictated a life of complete service and surrender to her husband so I found it quite interesting that the Buddha was aware of this situation and that he saw it as dukkha, as a form of suffering. So if we want to understand or we want to realize this first truth, then we need to be mindful of all these processes happening in this body, in this heart and mind. So we need to deeply understand these mental and physical processes so that we clearly see that Nama and Rupa is of the nature of Dukkha, of suffering that we clearly and deeply understand that these five aggregates of clinging are dukkha. So we need to see the unsatisfactory nature of these conditioned phenomena. We need to see that they never can completely satisfy all our desires, wants, and uh, wishes. So then, when suffering, dukkha, has been realized or thoroughly understood, then we have to look for the cause of this suffering. That this brings us to the second noble truth. And the Buddha said that the cause of suffering is tanha, or craving, or literally it means thirst. So, tanha, craving, is the cause of suffering. And tanha can be understood to mean all forms of craving, desire, wanting, holding on, or attachment. And this tanha is based on ignorance, of not seeing things clearly, of not understanding them uh, in the right way. So people want to have this and they do not want to have that. 
people have ideas of what would make them happy. An ice cream, a new house, a new car, an attractive wife, a better salary, or holidays on Bali. And so, with this idea that would make this would make them happy, so they try to do everything to get it or make it happen. And then at the same time, people want to ward off everything that makes them unhappy, that brings suffering, dissatisfaction. Could be the loud neighbor, the bad smell from the nappy fish paste that Burmese people very much like. Or it could be the freckles on the face, or it could be the right-wing politician. So, as I mentioned this morning in the instructions, craving tanha means wanting something, but also the not wanting of something. And this craving, it's either craving for something material or for something immaterial, mental. So, the craving for the ice cream or a pizza, the perfect partner, or the craving for happiness, for joy, for calm, for concentration. Basically, this craving is for nama and rupa, for mental phenomena, for physical phenomena. And why does this craving for nama and rupa arise? Because there is the basic ignorance the basic ignorance of not seeing the drawbacks or the flaws in this conditioned phenomena. Let's assume you have long aspired to get a Rolls Royce and one day friend comes along and says, you know, I don't want my Rolls Royce anymore. You can have it. I give it to you. And so you go, hooray, how good is that? How nice is that? So then happily you walk towards the Rolls Royce, open the door, but immediately step back because you see that this Rolls Royce is filled with brown snakes. And you, Australians, you know how deadly uh, brown snakes can be. So once you see the danger, once you see the drawback, the brown snakes, you immediately step back. In that moment, you no longer have the craving for this Rolls Royce. And so likewise, once you see the flaws, once you see the shortcoming in all mental and physical phenomena, then you no longer crave to have them. Then uh, you no longer get attached to these things. So, not only human beings, but basically all beings do whatever they can to be free from suffering and they do whatever they can to achieve happiness. And so they put so much effort into doing this, to get good food, to listen to nice music, to get the right partner, 
uh, to get the money together for the holiday in Bali, to go to the gym to get the good-looking body that they need to be happy. And so, you know, whatever they do, it's always by, tr by trying to satisfy their desires, their cravings, that they think, I will become happy. And so, people are driven by this, by this idea. And it's like moths that are attracted by light. So if, you know, there's a light bulb out in the dark, so moths fly towards this light bulb. They are attracted by it. And then they hit the light bulb and it's hot and uh, they are hurt. Or if the light comes from a candle, with a real flame, so then the moths flying towards the flame and being very happy to get there, short happiness, mm -hmm. dead. So then, the happiness and enjoyment is very short. And in Burma, a nun who was living and helping in the meditation center where I was for many years, she told me a very sad story. It was about her niece living in a rural area in Burma in a village where there was no electricity, you know, people didn't have a TV, people didn't have a radio, so, you know, no forms of entertainment. But then they had this village center, and with the help of a generator, once in a while they would show a film, sometimes a film for adults, sometimes a film for the kids. And of course, that was the big day and so much happiness and enjoyment when the children uh, could watch this film. And so uh, her niece was there watching the film and somehow she noticed that there was a little sharp pain in the back. And she thought, oh yeah, mosquito kind of thought of brushing it away and being fascinated by the film there. But then it turned out that it was not a mosquito that had bitten her, but a poisonous snake. And all help came too late. She died. So, indulgence in sense pleasures can be dangerous and fatal. I said, you know, people put so much effort into satisfying all their desires and cravings and wishes in order to be happy. It's true. We need to put some effort to achieve happiness and peace of mind. But most of the people's effort is directed in the wrong way or goes in the wrong direction. And again, Ajahn Chah, who sometimes could be so poignant uh, to the point, he said, the untrained mind is stupid. Sense impressions come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness, but finally sorrow. And also the Buddha said something similar and to the point. He said, enraptured with lust, which you also can translate as craving, tanha, enraptured with lust, 
enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed with mind ensnared, people aim at their own ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. Again and again, I'm so amazed by the sharpness of the Buddha's mind. He realized so clearly the nature of this mind, realizing so clearly the nature of the untrained mind. And that was long ago. But what the Buddha found out is still valid nowadays because the nature of people's mind has not changed. That's still the same. So, as the Buddha pointed out, tanha or craving is the truth of the cause of suffering. So that's the cause. And it's good to understand that tanha arises depending on feeling, Vedana. This is why we also need to be mindful of our Vedana. And this is why Vedana forms a separate foundation of mindfulness. I have already talked about this, and so without going into much detail, just briefly saying that pleasant Vedana gives, rising, gives rise to craving, wanting, desire, attachment. Unpleasant Vedana gives rise to aversion, hatred, enmity, ill will, frustration. And as I've said, this is just the downside of craving. And neutral Vedana gives usually rise to indifference or stupor, delusion or ignorance. And so, in regard to the second truth, the Buddha said, this is the one we need to abandon. So we need to abandon tanha, craving, to let go of it. As I've said, it's nothing that we need to attain or to get or to hold on to. By abandoning or letting go, basically we gain everything. We gain freedom, freedom from suffering. We realize the cessation of suffering or liberation. So, Sayadaw Ujanaka when he was giving talks, they would be just one hour, and then he would say, time is up, continue tomorrow. And as we still have two more truths to go, I will stop here, and we'll continue uh, the day after tomorrow in our next uh, talk. Sorry. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> One more thing I want to say, just to close this talk. It's again uh, Ajahn Chah. He said, In my life of practicing Dhamma, I didn't attempt to master a wide range of subjects. Just one. I refined this heart. And what is the purpose of tranquility? Why should we have wisdom? They are only for the purpose of freeing ourselves 
from suffering, nothing more. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for your kind listening.